Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. It's time to talk about updating organizational policies again, not just because we love it, but because it's been a busy year for legislative changes, more coming on the horizon too. It can be challenging to know what to update, when to update and how to do it, so by popular demand we're having another conversation on a topic that's in the minds of many HR teams and organizations right now. And talk to us about this, we're delighted to bring back Megan Power, HR consultant here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us again, Megan. How are you? I'm good, Owen. Thanks for having me. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And good to have you here again, Megan. Good to be here. Brilliant stuff. So look, we'll jump right in. Uh, and I suppose, Megan, we'll, we'll, come to, we'll come to you for the for the first one, if that's all right. So I suppose, Megan, we said there's a lot of updates, a lot of progress this year. What are some of the key updates that people should be making to their policies ahead of 2024? Anything that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, thanks, Owen. I mean, I think all HR professionals would agree that 2023 has been a mammoth year for uh, legislative updates and subsequent policy changes. You know, we kicked off the year, the end of last year, with the transparent and predictable working conditions regulations that had impacts on things like probationary periods, secondary employment, um, that sort of thing. We saw um, the Sick Leave Act come into effect of the 1st of January. Um, we've had the work life, the miscellaneous provisions and work life balance act uh, come into effect um, at different stages throughout throughout this year, and we're still waiting for um, the right to request flexible and remote working uh, to be commenced. That's the last piece of that act that's due to be um, that's due to be commenced. Um, in addition, we've got the whistleblowing. Um, legislation that took effect of the 1st of January as well but for uh, businesses um, with employees over 50 um, they're going to have reporting obligations under that legislation from the 17th of December um, this year so it's been a it's been a tough year for HR professionals to to keep up to date um, ahead of coming into 2024 and it's I suppose First and foremost, making sure that you have kept up with the legislation as it's been commenced so that your policies are compliant with your transparent and predictable working conditions regulations, that you are applying that to your probationary periods, your secondary employment uh, policies, for example, are up to date, um, that you have introduced the the new statutory leaves um, so like that leave for medical care purposes under the work-life, uh, the miscellaneous provisions work-life balance act, the domestic violence leave, your five days paid leave um, as well, your updates to the maternity um, protection. So your increased uh, breastfeeding breaks to up to two years. It was previously 
only up to uh, 26 weeks or six months. So making sure, I suppose, as we approach the end of this year, that you have reviewed your policies and procedures and you have um, updated them to comply. Um, in addition, I suppose, coming around the corner, um, we are expecting the Sick Leave Act to increase to five days from the 1st of Jan. Um, we are still awaiting um, a ministerial order for that though. Um, so not confirmed as of yet, but it is expected that that will increase to five days. So making sure your policies and of course your practices, because this is a statutory paid leave, um, comply with that change um, in terms of policies, possibly around pay and benefits, if you reference your minimum wage and them, which a lot of policies do. Um, just remember that we are expecting an increase to the minimum wage. We should hear about that in the budget um, in the coming days. And we are expecting to see a possible 12% increase to the minimum wage um, within that budget. So that's an increase of €1.40 per hour. Um, so quite a substantial one for small businesses and certainly will have a knock-on effect um, for employees who were paid maybe just above um, the minimum wage um, in that regard. With respect to that whistleblowing act that I referenced um, a few moments ago, so um, people who raise concerns about possible wrongdoing in the workplace have have been protected by the Protective Disclosures Act of 2014. This was updated um, on the 1st of January this year by the Protective Disclosures Amendment Act 2022. Um, for some sectors, there has been a lead-in period before the new rules on reporting channels and procedures are in place. So like I said, for many private sector and charity employers who've got between 50 and 249 employees, they have until the 17th of December to comply with the new rules. Um, those companies in the private sector or charity sector with more than 250 um, should be compliant since the 1st of January this year. And if you're in the area of financial services, products and markets and the prevention of like money laundering and terrorist financing, transport safety, again, you should be compliant since the 1st um, of January. Um, reporting channels and procedures um, must be created and can be undertaken by um, an internal person or department, depending on the size of your organization, or you can outsource this and have an, an external thought third party that you authorize uh, to manage your reporting channel. Um, so quite a lot um, to take on board coming down the line for 2024, something to be mindful of is auto enrollment um, and the, the new pension scheme. We are expecting that to take effect before the end of um, next year, seeing references to it um, for possibly September. 2024, where um, employees who aren't already on an occupational pension scheme will be entered into one um, and employers will be obligated um, to contribute to that scheme uh, for all employees earning, I believe, over 20,000 per annum. Um, and there's an age, there's an age limit uh, to that as well. Um, so that's a cost, um, you know, a significant cost for employers to consider and policies will need to be drafted um, in that regard as well. It will be gradual. It's coming in over 10 years um, and it's believed, again, we're still waiting on quite a bit of information, 
but it's believed employer contributions will begin um, at 1.5%. So quite a lot um, to be mindful of. Um, and hopefully maybe we'll see a bit of a slowdown um, in terms of uh, the just the sheer volume um, of changes. Um, but all in all, these changes are hugely positive, um, really contributing to employee well-being, um, work-life balance. And in a lot of cases, we're seeing Ireland lead the change across the EU in, in respect of offering these um, to staff, uh, which is great. Definitely brilliant. I so hope all our listeners had the, the notepad and pen, pen and paper out for that one. If you didn't, pick it up and rewind and, and take notes on that again, because a lot to lot to get through there. So appreciate that, Megan. Um, I suppose, Mary, then when it comes to actually getting sitting down and updating the policies, I mean, do people typically find this quite difficult? I mean, keeping up with the legislation is probably only half the battle, Mary, isn't it? There's probably a piece of work to this, to put it lightly. Yeah, because it takes time, Owen, and um, I'm sure Megan, Megan, who spends a lot of her time kind of reviewing policies and updating policies, I'm sure will agree with me as well. You know, understanding the law and the requirements are one thing, then looking at them and thinking, you know, what decisions do we need to make as a business about this? Um, for many employers, it'll be about simply complying with the basic provisions. But you will see with, um, you know, I think IKEA announced a much higher living wage, um, which was in the media today um, for its employees ahead of the announcement from the government on their um, minimum wage rates for 2024. So every organisation will have their own particular slant and particularly in an environment where, um, you know, we're competing for talent. So you're going to see again employers doing different things and going above and beyond the basics that are stipulated in the legislation. But as I always say to HR teams, it's one of the things that concerns me is that how far out policies and procedures gets pushed. Um, because, yes, there's been a lot this year. We all feel it in HR, you know, the sheer volume of, of change, legislation, regulation, change, new approaches. And also because information is kind of drip fed through to us, some of us aren't even quite sure, well, what's actually in now? Um, for instance, you know, when it comes to the right to request remote work, we're still waiting for the code of practice from the WRC on the right to request remote work, which was promised before Christmas this year, but it doesn't look likely at this stage. However, who knows? I've said that before on this podcast and been proven wrong when all of a sudden and all of a rush, something comes into effect. Um, with that in particular, um, with the um, Work-Life Balance Directive, um, was due to be transposed into Irish law by the 2nd of August 2022. Um, and while that deadline was missed, the Work-Life Balance and Miscellaneous Provisions Act 2023 was signed into law uh, in April this year, but again, we're still waiting 
on the final pieces to come into effect. And that makes it confusing for HR teams out there. Uh, and it angers employees who we're seeing being called back into offices now. Uh, I read uh, an article, I think it was this morning, but I've got to read so much, I, it's hard to, to know where I pick up my information at times. Um, but I read a piece around uh, tech employees who are having to come back into offices at this stage saying, where is this right to request remote work? When is this going to come into effect? Because for people now, they are uh, being called back into the workplace. Uh, their employers are insisting that they're coming in. There's a harder and firmer approach taken to hybrid working. You're hearing uh, some voices now saying that in the next three years, our remote working and, and hybrid working is going to change and it's going to all be back in office. So there's lots of confusion out there and our policies and our procedures are what brings clarity to our organization, to our employees, uh, to the workforce, so they know where they stand on, on particular points. 100% such an important point. I think then just then digging, I suppose, deeper into that Work-Life Balance Miscellaneous Provisions Act uh, that came out this year, Mary. I mean, as Megan said, a lot of great stuff in there, all very welcome additions. The to-do list is getting bigger, but they're all good things. But I suppose, Mary, anything jumping out to you from the Work-Life Balance Miscellaneous Provisions Act? It seems a little bit tricky because I suppose when you're updating policies, it's a little bit of a jigsaw trying to figure out that we put this in place, it doesn't compromise another thing. Yeah. It fits in right. Any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, it, it like I just said, it, it, it is confusing uh, for people when it's not fully in place yet. And, you know, to write a policy without the code of practice in place on say the right to request remote work means you're going to have to review it uh, as soon as that code of practice comes into place and update it and maybe fundamentally change it depending on how that looks so I suppose that's that's one of the major things that stands out to me um, in that regard um, but number one is get your head around it, understand what has changed, um, you know, understand what it is you need to put in place and uh, update the policies accordingly. But we're kind of saying, and Megan, I'm sure you'll agree, um, how many times have we gone back and reviewed policies for our clients at this stage? Megan, you're probably in a better position to answer that. How many times for you, for some of our clients? Yeah, I mean, multiple times um, this year because it's a balance between um, wanting to make sure the handbooks or standalone policies, whatever way the company is operating, you know, has 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 them up to date and in time um, and is, is complying um, with the legislation, um, you know, versus like with the right to request the flexible working, the remote working, not drafting a policy and then having to turn around and and change it which you know may cause co confusion to employees who don't really understand how um the legislation and commencement orders and all of that you know um works and the act does give us a really good kind of grounding for what that right to flexible and remote working is going to um look like but equally we, we don't know what 
the code of practice is going to add um, is going to add to that and how that might inform inform the policy and there's um, still very much until it, it commences Mary I'm not sure um, if you found this there's still very much confusion that uh, employees believe it to be an automatic right to work flexibly or to work remotely um, when in fact the legislation is allowing for a right to request it not a right to be granted it and the WRC in looking at claims for breaches um, of this particular piece of the legislation is going to be looking at the process rather than the decision of the company to either reject or accept that request. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, uh, Megan, you know, when it was uh, originally put together, there were a number of points at which uh, an employer could refuse a request. Um, and it'll be interesting now to, to see, you know, how it actually looks. Um, when it comes, once that code of practice comes into effect. But remember, again, the code of practice is best practice. Um, and the WRC will look at it when it comes to any claims that come forward in, in the future. But, you know, you can always do better than the basics um, from the employer point of view. And that's when we when we look at policies and procedures, what we're actually doing is looking at what the law says, looking at the particular organisation uh, and the challenges that that organisation has. So if you're struggling with detraction or retention, you may want to go above and beyond the basics that are on offer. And you'll, you'll see, I was having a chat with my um, nephew who works in a fast food outlet, 16 years old, you know, making decisions on which fast food outlet he's prepared to work in. Uh, and him telling me that, you know, he can kind of more or less do what he wants along with the other 16, 17 year olds who are basically telling their manager, yeah, I can come this Friday, but not next Friday. And I won't be in on Sunday either. And the manager is having no option but to keep hiring these people because they're so short staffed. Um, and the reality is if employers aren't competing on things like the living wage, which you'll see IKEA out there shouting about right now, um, you know, if you have a choice and you're in that area uh, and you look at maybe getting the minimum wage versus a much higher living wage, uh, you'll, you'll choose the employer that's going to pay more. So employers need to think carefully about what it is they're going to do. And that's how it applies maybe in a, a minimum pay kind of a role. But we've seen for the last number of years, employers competing um, by offering things like um, surrogacy, enhanced benefits for families, enhanced uh, reward uh, to suit the individual. And so all of that feeds into your policy and procedure and how you go about it. So it's not as simple as just taking the law, plonking it into um, your, your policy and thinking that's okay. You've got to take the law. Sometimes it's quite difficult in the way in which it's written um, and translate it into the style that you want for your organization. Uh, we've been playing around with some of our clients around video, um, podcasting, those kind of things. So again, it's like 
you know, are you doing the most modern thing you can do? Are there better ways of, of um, bringing these policies and procedures to life? There's lots and lots of decisions to be made around how you go by doing it. Definitely. And one, I suppose, that's kind of notoriously tricky, and I'll come to your, yourself for this one, Megan, and it's a little bit tricky, but that needs to be translated into that simplicity and embedded so that I suppose employees understand it is the whole area of whistleblowing. Um, any kind of thing that's standing out there? Because what Brian said, Megan, that's pretty much around the corner now, isn't it, the whole whistleblowing policy? Yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you haven't met the threshold already um, since the 1st of January, you're now looking at having to comply with this piece of legislation as of the 17th of December um, of this year. Um, and that date has been in the diary since the beginning uh, beginning of the year. So arguably, um, organisations have had quite a bit of time um, to prepare for this. Um, but where I feel like organisations may fall foul is potentially being of the misconception that, you know, if they've got 51 or 52 employees um, and they're relatively small, that they, you know, may not... Um, realize that the legislation does um apply to them you know and um as of the 17th of december they're obligated under the act to have established internal uh procedures for employees to report uh wrongdoing and you know those those internal channels like i mentioned previously i mean that can be one person um, if you're a bigger organisation, you might assign um, a number of people from a department to to oversee that. Um, or if you choose, if you feel you don't have the resources or feel it's a better fit for your organisation, you may choose to outsource that to um, a third party. And we have a, a number of clients um, that have chosen to, let's say, outsource that um, to us and we're named in their policy in the event that um, a whistleblowing uh, complaint comes through. Um, so you now have to establish um, procedures and a big part of establishing procedures, is not just, you know, attaching a name. Um, you know, uh, it's about training that individual or individuals, depending on the circumstances, up um, so that they understand whistleblowing, the legislation around it. Um, and what their responsibilities are and that the internal uh, procedure that you put into your policy um, complies um, with the legislation. Um, so I think it's one that employers may not realise um, applies to them, um, but it, 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 it is an absolute. So from the 17th of December, if you've got more than 50 employees, you need to have a whistleblowing policy that complies with the um, new amendments um, and you know you need to make sure you've communicated that to all your staff and they know that there is an established channel um, in the event that they have um, concerns about wrongdoing within the organization would advise no one to make the mistake that they that you know whatever business or industry they're in there'd never be a wrongdoing complaint what are you on about how what well, we wouldn't have anything like that they abs you absolutely knew need to have a whistleblowing policy and um, that complies with that legislation. Absolutely. I think it's one that's, that's been on the minds of a lot of HR teams, Megan, so definitely good to get some guidance on the, on the whistleblowing side of things, a really important one. Um, second to last question then, 
for yourself, Megan, for for everyone. I'll, I'll just come to yourself for this one, Megan. And when it comes to, I suppose, the how to update policies, I mean, is there kind of a set approach? Where does one start? I mean, if I was a HR person bringing up now, Megan, and saying, where do I start with all this stuff? What would you be? What would you be saying? Yeah, I think when you're looking at your your updating your policies, you know, are we introducing a new policy or are we updating an existing um, policy? And, you know, why are we updating it? So if it's to comply with legislation, as a lot of policies updates this year are, it's what does that legislation require of us? And, you know, how are we going to transpose that into our policy? So as Mary mentioned earlier, your legislation is going to cover your bare minimum, what you're required to do from uh, a legal and statutory perspective. That's not to say you cannot offer more than what the legislation um, uh, what the le- legislation dictates. Um, and before you even go about writing a policy, it's about uh, sitting down and, and mapping out uh, what the policy or the policy updates might look like. Um, for me, a good example of this is the domestic violence leave. Um, so you can draft your policy and state, you know, that employees are entitled to their five days paid leave. But how you draft that policy um, pra- from a practical perspective um, is going to inform how successful it, its implementation is and, you know, ultimately inform cult- company culture around domestic violence. So, um, you know, as starting as simple as who do the people who want to avail of this leave, who do they report it to? Is that person trained? Do they understand um, an employee's rights around domestic violence um, leave? Have they got supports that they can offer the employee? Is there an EAP, a number um, that they can provide? Is the company offering more than five days paid leave? Is it offering flexible working arrangements for um, those who find themselves um, needing, you know, needing leave um, because of domestic violence. Um, So it is, there's a good bit of work to be done before you actually um, draft the policy um, if you want them to be successful and be embedded in in company culture, in my view. And I suppose that's what we do here at Inside HR is um, we, we can just, you know, we could just provide you with the template. And I think we see that quite a bit, Mary, when we get handed documents for review and inside in a policy that's maybe been issued to staff for a number of years under the reporting, as in like who to report to, it just has brackets, job title brackets, and it's never actually been filled in and it's been issued, you know, it's been issued to staff. What we do is we sit down and we chat to you about the legislation what your minimum requirements, you know, are um, and what um, would work for your organization based on size, um, kind of the branding already in, in line with other benefits that the that the company might offer and that sort of thing. So um, quite a bit of work rather than just um, dishing, dishing out a policy um, that kind of ticks off the requirements of the legislation, in my view. Brilliant. So just kind of building on what Megan has said there, Mary, I mean, that final question yourself really about just how we do it i mean as megan said there a lot of it is really not just giving the advice on the policies here's what's coming here's what you're supposed to write down in your handbook that kind of stuff a lot of it really is maybe about seeing what works seeing where it fits in because you want these things to be as we always say the policy is only as good as its implementation so you want to get this stuff right don't you and that's kind of the 
the aim for us when we work with people on this. Yeah, I think it's very much about um, style, isn't it? And and what you're actually trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether you're introducing a policy, uh, whether you're changing how you're um, approaching something in the workplace, there is a, a piece of work. It's not just only about the written word or or the video or the in-person experience. It's very much about um, understanding what challenges you have, what what problems you're trying to address, what needs you have within the organization, and making sure that those policies and procedures actually speak to people, that they understand them, that they're simple, um, that they're clear, and that your own stamp and, and um, you know, identity as a business is uh, included in that. So often I see these generic policies um, out there that sometimes even have the wrong industry referred to within them. Um, And it can be quite shocking sometimes when you review uh, an organization's policies and procedures, a friend of a friend has um, given them something. They downloaded something from the internet and actually it's Australian or uh, from the UK or, you know, something that they got from a colleague somewhere or other doesn't actually resonate with their own organization and is wrong for their own organization. So I, I would always say be careful. Be careful where you're getting your information from. Um, be careful about who you're asking to put together these documents for you because um, you really do need to have a very solid grasp and knowledge of the law and of case law to understand um, what you need to do. You know, last week we spoke with online um, own uh, around suspension. And that's just a case in point, isn't it? Because in every discipline policy, um, there will be the right to suspend someone. But what's missing from a lot of them are the circumstances in which you can suspend someone um, for how long and uh, for what purpose. And lots and lots of employers are getting that very, very wrong uh, when it comes to something just as simple as suspension. So while we've had age old policies and procedures in place, I mean, I don't think for most discipline policies, I've seen much of a change in them in the 25 years I've been working in HR. And yet there's fundamental differences in terms of how we can actually do things in practice. And that's been informed by case law. So you need both. You need to understand both before you can write these documents. Um, And that to me is probably one of the most important things to note and it takes time. So the amount of HR people I know out there who still have not updated their um, policies and procedures with the code of practice uh, on the prevention resolution of bullying in the workplace actually frightens me uh, because that's just a fundamental document that you need to have in place. And if you don't have it in place and and someone makes a complaint of bullying, you're immediately on the back foot. And it's important that you're thinking these things through. You don't have the time. Do outsource it. Get it done. 
uh, if you do have the time, prioritize it because it's the backbone to the relationship with your employees. You will fall back on and use those policies and procedures throughout the employment relationship with each and every employee. Uh, and it's important. It's important that you understand the basis uh, in which you're or on which you're engaging with people. 100%. And such a, such a great line to, to finish on, Mary. It's, it's almost like you've done 150 podcasts and you know, I had to finish a conversation. So, no, but joking aside, it's a very good point because a lot of it is, I mean, as I say, it's a foundation. It's worth the time. It's worth the effort. And it's very important. So, look, thank you, Megan and Mary, for a lot of great insights there and for discussing the importance, but also how to do this kind of stuff. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So, don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. This month, we also do have a webinar on this very same topic coming up on Wednesday, the 25th of October at 11.15. So do keep an eye on our socials for the registration details there. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Megan, and thank you, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.